Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day and welcome to the call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Friday, the 1st of April. Yes, April Fools. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great you can join us. Our two experts on the show here today, Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Welcome to both of you guys. Uh, Luke, end of quarter, three mm. months down already. And uh, taking a look at the Australian share market, actually outperformed, certainly compared with uh, global markets. Yep. What about the world of small caps? Um, it, probably not as much. And, and that's, you know, small caps more volatile, the liquidity, liquidity becomes a problem. Um, but that being said, Aussie small caps, similar to the Aussie broader index, that heavy materials weighting has, has really kept us instead. I think the, uh, the, the small lords index was up five point something percent for, for March alone. So you've seen that big recovery at an index level. Um, it's, a, it's a really interesting market at the minute. Like you, you take a step back and depending on what type of manager or investor you are, you could be doing really, really well or really, really poorly. There's big divergence in, in sectors, in styles of investing. And, um, and, and, the, and the macro overlay is, 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 um, is, is really interesting as well. I mean, I sat back at that, at that budget the other night mm. and thought, it was a really interesting budget for where we are in the cycle and where the economy is. With record low unemployment and consumer budgets, you know, looking really healthy, a lot of stimulus was just thrown again into the into the Australian economy. And um, you know, some people are already sort of wondering how's this play out now over the next few years. But then you throw supply chain issues, commodity prices spiking. It's it's. You know, I'm, a, I'm an active manager, so I'm, I'm talking my book here, but I, I don't think it's the right time to, to just be a passive index investor. I think that time for stock picking and active investing is really going to come to the fore. Yeah, there are so many moving parts at the moment, aren't we? And of course, throw in a federal election mm. at the same time. So that's uh, mm. also something we've got to consider, perhaps uh, potentially a change in government. We're going to get a lot more policies clearly uh, over the next couple of months. Hey, Claude, um, yeah, so... Interesting to get your summation, uh, given that we're at the end of the quarter there. Uh, we we're just talking about the performance, uh, certainly locally, uh, pretty much led by, I guess, financials and materials. No surprise there, particularly as far as materials and where commodity prices have gone. Yeah, well, exactly. I think what we're seeing is that the short-term beneficiaries of um, inflation, really, whether that be commodity price or more in the financial realm, are making it easier for people to pay back loans. Um, we're seeing the short-term beneficiaries of inflation do well in the near term basically but of course eventually if you have enough inflation say in commodities um eventually uh that can start des destroying demand so that those good times don't necessarily go on forever all right well let's uh focus on the here and now and uh the first half of the show i tell you what we'll be covering uh, Genus Plus, Comms Group, Cobalt Blue, Eight Common, and Field Solutions. But first, of course, we want to take a look at the stock of the day, and that is Domain. It's on the acquisition trail, snapping up real estate campaign management company Realbase for around $230 million, funded initially through a 
$180 million cap raise. Uh, company chief executive Jason Pellegrino telling Ausbiz a little earlier that the move strengthens Domain's position as the leading provider of end-to-end -end agent workflow solutions. Base is uh, a fantastic business in the technology space that actually helps agents with key parts of the campaign marketing of bringing properties to market and helping vendors sell those properties and is an ideal fit with Domain. It fills in uh, a number of product gaps that we have in our vision of an end-to-end product solution for agents. It helps us accelerate our vision of our property marketplace of providing an end-to-end -end solution for all agents and, and a wonderful experience for consumers. How quickly will be earnings accretive straight off the bat or do we have to wait a period of time for the synergies to go and start kicking in? Uh, this this deal has been done on an earnings accretive basis both in FY22 on a pro forma basis or for the period of time uh, between closing and year end and will be earnings accretive in our, in our first full year of ownership as well. Let's uh, get some opinion of uh, Domain. Claude, let's start with you then, because uh, it comes at an interesting time in the property cycle as to where we're at with the view of clearly interest rates on the rise and we're already seeing some of those prices come off and how that's affecting stock levels. Well, um, I guess there's two questions. There's one is uh, what do I think of Domain and then two, you know, whether this uh, transaction announced today uh, would change my view of it long term. I guess I'll start with the second one. Um, I wouldn't change my long term view, although I have to say um, this transaction is interesting food for thought. Um, on one level, it shows the kind of way that Domain can grow its earnings um, by getting more of that wallet share from its existing agent sort of customers. And I think that that makes sense as a strategy because in terms of actually growing, you know, the number of agents that use them, Domain and REA Group are already sort of like, you know, they're the must-haves in the property advertising sector. So I think it makes sense to try to inc increase profits that way. Uh, so I like that strategic thinking. Then the other second question is, do the, does the price make sense? Um, you know, they're, they're saying they're boasting about 20.5 uh, times expected FY22 EBITDA. So I feel like this is quite a high price. That's excluding synergies. But, um, you know, they definitely there's definitely some risk in, in the price you pay. And I don't think that it's an amazingly good price. I wonder, you know, for $180 million, could they have built this kind of functionality themselves? But I don't think it's terrible either. And, um, you know, I think that the overall strategy makes sense. Then when it actually comes to domain, you know, I think it's a it's a great quality company. And what I like about it in the current environment is that, you know, whilst um, an inflation cycle can definitely lead to a volatile property market because it impacts the amount that people can borrow, um, over time, over the long term, you know, land and property is one of the things that, that does tend to retain its value right so inflation means that the dollar in your bank account you know in the bank account is going to buy fewer burgers as warren buffett would put it but um actually you know there's no more land and the houses are generally especially um in certain areas are going to keep going up in value which just means that the price of the asset that domain and rea group um are helping people sell that continues to go up strongly and that means ultimately that their, their ability to tax that transaction has something to do with the actual size of that transaction. So as long as that keeps going up over the very long term, and I think it will, 
they're going to be able to put up prices, which basically means that even though inflation can be bad for a lot of businesses, and I'm not saying it's a good thing, a business that can put up its prices continually is going to do better in the long term. So for that reason, I'd say, you know, domain is probably a hold or a buy. Personally, I think REA Group is the is the better of the two, um, just based on past growth rates and the current multiple of earnings. But um, yeah, look, I think that they're both solid quality businesses. For me, I'd probably put domain more as a hold, um, but it's, it's a good quality stock. All right, that's the view of Claude Luke. Your thoughts then? Interesting, just taking a look at the share price. In fact, November it was at six, and we're back down now to four. Mm-hmm. I'll um, yeah, I'll talk about that in a second. The my first takeaway is Realbase is a very very good business. Um, even I'd never heard of it, but just looking at the presentation today, the hallmarks of a quality software business: forty percent EBITDA margins, still managing to achieve twenty percent growth this year. Um, and, and that's why domain, you're not paying a cheap price, as Claude put it. And that was my takeaway too. Um, have they overpaid? Maybe we have to wait and see. My my, my first initial thought when I read the presentation today was um, they're looking to drive eighteen million dollars in synergies by FY twenty six. They need a substantial chunk of them to actually come through. I think to make this you know really um, a strong acquisition for shareholders in the longer term. Um, to your point on the share price, I think it's actually a very good um, example of why maintaining a, a healthy balance sheet is always important. So. You look at their last result in December, they were leveraged up to about 1.5 times EBITDA. Share price has gone from $6 to $4. Now, admittedly, it's not a, it's not a lot of dilution, only about 7% dilution, but it's the sort of acquisition where if they'd had a better balance sheet, you probably just use debt to buy this. You avoid that dilution and you get much better accretion on that EPS, as, as the CEO was talking about before. So it's not a massive you know, red cross against management, but just a, it's just a point about like, you know, be, be wary of what you would call um, you know, fully leveraged balance sheets because it does reduce that flexibility when you may need it most. Um, I agree with Claude's final point. I actually think you know, Domain gets put next to REA, of course. REA is, is the better business, but this is not a, I, I don't think this is a winner-takes-all space. If you look around the world at, at property platforms in different geographies, it usually plays out the way it's played out here, which is a 70-30, 80-20 split. You always have that second platform nibbling at the heels. I think Domain just continues to do that. It'll, it'll grow with, with property prices and, and general growth of the economy. Um, it's not massively expensive, so I, I would say it's a hold. And, and this acquisition, I, I think Realbase looks really interesting. Good, it's a, it's a very good business, no doubt about that. Yeah, okay. Well, that's a double hold then um, for Domain. All right, let's uh, get into your picks then. Um, the first one coming to us from Steve on Genesis Plus. He wants to hear Luke's thoughts on uh, the company with a rapidly changing energy grid, saying this uh, could uh, the company could benefit a provider for it's a provider of uh, power telco infrastructure, and its vision it says is to become Australia's leading services provider in the design construction and maintenance of electricity transmission and distribution and telco infrastructure, an ambitious plan. Luke, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I felt bad for Steve when I saw this because not only have I never looked at this business, I'd actually never heard of it. So mm. I, I took a look and I must admit, I instantly saw you know, the reasons why Steve would be bullish on a stock like this. So integrated power and telco engineering procurement construction. Um, normally, that's not the sort of industry that would attract me. It's, it's very low margin, very lumpy. Um, you know, a lot of things can go wrong, especially in a rising cost environment where you have fixed price long-term contracts into a rising input prices. That said, 
founder, founder-led, founder continues to own 60% of the business. Um, the highlight page in their presentations includes a slide on return on capital, which is a massive green tick for me in a business like this. Um, whenever you see a business, a management team focused on the return on the capital to, for shareholders, I think that's fantastic rather than focusing on revenue or absolute profit numbers where you can just dilute or acquire. They're focusing on what, are we, what capital are we employing and what return are we getting on that. Um, there are a few things I think they could have normalized or, or brought out of their results, which they kept in. I think that's always a, a good sign for a management team as well. Clean balance sheet, growing recurring maintenance revenue base, big order book, just a lot of things that I, I, I sort of, I, I really liked. Um, based on their guidance, about six times EBITDA. I think that's a pretty fair price for a business like this. So I don't think you're getting excessively cheap, but you're not overpaying. The, the one thing I saw there was in their outlook statement, there was some commentary about the tight labor market and supply chain issues. They maintain the guidance, but I think they're sort of prepping the market for expect that to come in at the lower end as we're seeing these issues play out. That being said, look, I, like, I hadn't looked at it until yesterday, so I, I, just, I can't come in here and say buy. But Steve, if you own this stock, I, would, I, I see no reason on, on you know, what I was looking at to, to say sell at all. I think it's a, a definite hold and one for the watch list. Is, watch list. If someone wants a stock like this, it's in that utility space, defensive space, um, and, and ticks a lot of boxes for me. All right, on the watch list, a hold from Luke. Um, Claude, were you aware of, uh, of Genesis Plus before we I'm ex- brought it up? I was aware of it just because I like to look at companies that are involved somehow in renewable energy, and these guys have as one of their strategies um, not, you know, not saying that this makes it a buy, but it's just like one of their strategies is to try and get more work um, doing the electric connections for renewables to the grid, which is obviously, uh, you know, in my view, probably um, a potential tailwind in the sense that if we have more, you know, solar farms popping up around the place, wind farms, then, you know, that probably means more work for these guys. However, you know, that's not enough to say that it's it's a great business. And in fact, you know, I think, I would probably come across. I come over a little bit more negative on this one than Luke. I think he makes some good points, and it looks like a decent company. Um, it's nice to see it's profitable, but this kind of business can be exposed to risks to do with, um, you know, if a project goes bad, something goes wrong, they're unable to get it done. I wasn't able to figure out how badly they're exposed to those risks, but I did note. Um, that in their prospectus, it did say, um, you know, one of the risks or one of the factors that you had to keep in mind was that whether there was going to be a continued availability of skilled labor neg- necessary to successfully deliver on project commitments. And obviously, we have a fairly tight employment market. There's a lot of like commodity boom stuff going on as well at the same time. And I would argue that probably the labor pool, you know, for uh, even though it's got, say, nothing to do with them. The labor pool for you know an iron ore mine or general support for that um, still is going to pull on the same kind of pool of people that uh, Genus Plus might. So I do actually think that that will probably tighten for them. And I think that um, whilst the, you know that doesn't mean this is a bad stock long term, I do think that that's probably going to be a short term tailwind, uh, headwind rather, that would probably make me very hesitant to hold shares right now. Now that could be wrong, um, but. Yeah, look, I think I feel a little bit concerned about how it's going to be for these guys going into the current environment, whether they're going to be able to, um, you know, manage a situation where it's possible that their employee costs 
uh, mm. are going to be going up over time and yep. be a risky situation. Okay, so you're pretty much avoiding it at this point. I would avoid it, but I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want... I'm sort of with Luke in the sense that I think that overall, this looks like a reasonable quality business in this space. It's just, it's not really where I tend to go fishing. I tend yep. to prefer, um, you know, more tech or even medical. Something that has really solid demand at higher margins is generally more my cup of tea. All right. Well, let's try the second one then. See whether you like it. Uh, comms Group. Ben, wanting to know your opinion on this IT services provider to the SME space. Uh, fairly comprehensive in his analysis of this, saying current sales mix and majority there being voice uh, data services, uh, making up the remainder essentially, saying it floated in 2017 as an IT service provider, uh, rolled up five separate businesses, but he says it appears the CEO overpaid for those businesses, missed guidance, uh, and then the stock went bad essentially. <laughs> Uh, then 2019, Peter McGrath, who uh, ran NextGen, he took over uh, and he's saying, look like it's one of those situations where no one is interested because of how badly it went at the start. So, Claude, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I'm more favourable on this one. I do not own shares myself, but actually this is the kind of thing that you could find me playing in this kind of space. You know, I think that the questioner really put their finger on it then. It is a turnaround. Um, we are looking... Uh, for you know Peter McGrath basically to be able to turn around this business and make it profitable, develop uh, you know generate free cash flow, etc. Now, of course, part of the thesis for this kind of messy turnaround situation is the fact that um, you know basically Peter had previously run a business called UEcom where um, he basically did a did a successful turnaround there and then sold it to Singtel. So I guess the question is, can he do some sort of similar thing himself? Now, the real direction that they've been taking the company more recently has been um, basically to be a managed service provider, as I understand it, of Microsoft Teams, which, you know, basically the, they sit in there between Microsoft's not going around to every single business and be like, here, let me set you up with this. They use partners like um, these, these guys to sell on Microsoft Teams plus any often, you know, telco services and connectivity that's needed to go with that. And that's where these guys have been fitting in. And obviously, you know, with the pandemic and everything, that's only accelerated the growth of Microsoft Teams. Now, if we actually just look at the stock itself, I guess there was a couple of points I wanted to make. Like, first of all, we've seen a little bit of director buying on market, which I always like to see. Um, that puts it on on the list for me. But second of all, I think that you've got to be a little bit careful here with people who will um, look at, say, the underlying EBITDA and use that to value the company or to say it's cheap. And I'm not sure I always agree with that because what you see in the most recent report is that they had a EBITDA of about a million and the underlying EBITDA was about 1.9 million. But what that excludes is share-based payments and business acquisition, acquisition and integration costs. Now, if this company is going to continue to roll up little businesses, then those acquisition costs will be sort of a recurring cost. And if that's part of your growth model, then you're going to take that in, into account. And then, of course, share-based payments I generally count as a real expense. Mm -hmm. Having said all that, um, to the extent that I can without actually owning, myself, owning shares myself, I actually think that the risk-reward on this company is favorable. You have aligned you had you have aligned management with experience that you know could well make it work and then b you have this situation where 
um, it's sort of getting closer to break to break even. Uh, so, you know, or at least in a bit the level it is, it's profitable. So for that reason, I think that it can fund its own growth. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like I, I would back it. I don't um, own shares and it's a little bit high risk for me at the moment, but it's actually on my watch list and it's one of the stocks I've been considering. So okay. call me a hold, but I'm quite positive or, or a buy, but I'm a little bit too cautious to actually buy myself. Fair enough. Nothing wrong with being cautious, Luke. Um, yeah, look, Ben knows this company pretty well. You can tell that yeah. from his, his paragraph intro. And I think he's hit on the important points, which is focusing on the new CEO, Peter McGrath, and his history. And, mm. and uh, he's come in, put some of his own cold, hard cash into the business, not just incentive options and, and you know the way some uh, executives sort of get their, in, uh, get their alignment. Um, the reason why management's so important in a business like this is when you have an acquisition-led business, you need to make sure they're buying the right things, they're paying the right prices. And then Claude alluded to it just then, is that when they present their results to you, um, acquisition-led businesses um, often have to refer to underlying results because you have all these moving parts and restructurings and acquisitions and you know advisory costs, legal costs. Of course, that's all unaudited. And so you're relying on the management team's honesty and, and, and you know, um, and truthfulness to, to actually exclude the correct costs and not maybe sneak some things in that they shouldn't. So I think he's down the right track of highlighting, you know, Peter McGrath has a good history. He's got some real money behind the business and, and it's a bit of a, a back the, the jockey, you know, rather than the horse because these are average businesses. And, and, and that was one of my notes here is that the history of these IT managed services business on the ASX, it's not pretty. Like you go back and there was PSZ, which became Tesserant as it is now. And, and Tesserant's running the same playbook of just acquisitions and wait and see what happens. RXP bumbled along for 10 years before being bought out at the same price it was, you know, a decade previous. Melbourne IT, you know, went effectively to zero and diluted holders the whole way. You got a couple more similar to um, Comms Choice now, like Cirrus Networks and MOQ. So just like they're they're just they're not great businesses. It's yep. it's very low margin, very competitive. But that being said, it's cheap, and a good CEO in that industry can make the right acquisitions and and, and position the business um, either to be acquired itself, which you know there was an article in the AFR that um, Quadrants had one of their managed IT services just get acquired um, by a um, I believe a Singaporean company. Um, so that may be the end game for, for something like comms. Um, for me, it's a hold. I think Ben's done a lot of work and I think he's highlighted the, the, the reasons why you own this business. Yep. And that's now your investment thesis, Ben. Just stick with that, make sure Peter's executing. Um, one other note I did have for any sort of acquisition roll-up, always look at the, um, the earnouts on the acquisitions. So I went and had a quick look at their latest result. They acquired a business called Next Telecom last year. It didn't hit their earnings um, earnout guidance meaning that that you know the, the the results of that business didn't match the um what they what they thought it could when they set the earnouts in place and they acquired a business called switched on which has a potential revenue earnout coming up in this full year result so just watch that because if they're if they're executing and, and reaching those earnouts it means the acquisitions are humming and they're doing well okay if they're not maybe there's something going on under the surface so just, right. just watch those ones moving forward comscrew for double hold Let's move on and go underground. Uh, we're going to look at Cobalt Blue. Eugene wanted to know about this, saying it's beginning underground development work at its Broken Hill Cobalt project, set to become one of the world's largest ethical suppliers of cobalt, uh, saying the majority at the moment uh, coming from the DRC in Africa, where ethical environmental standards are poor. Um, look, he does. Uh, he, he's fairly comprehensive in his analysis of this. Luke, uh, we're uh, 
we need to pick up the pace. So let's get straight to it. Cobalt Blue. Yeah, I'll be quicker with this. It's not my style of investment. I actually saw the CEO present at a, at a conference a few weeks ago, and I was pretty impressed. Um, you know, the the viewer highlighted the main um, appeal to a business like this, which is 70% of the world's supply of, of cobalt comes from the, the, the DRC. Um, there's a lot of ESG concerns, and so Tesla and a few of the auto manufacturers are seeking out alternative supply, and, and that's where someone like a Cobalt Blue is, is hoping to come in, really painting that green ESG picture around themselves, but, but sort of fair enough to a certain degree. Um, you know, I don't know a lot about mining, I must admit, but, but the things I always look for, it looks okay. Like, you know, relatively low capex to bring this mine into, into production of about 500 million. Um, they could easily find debt funding and a bit of equity to get that up and running. Um, you know, at current cobalt prices, about $37 a pound. Um, you're talking NPV of 1.3 billion. Today's market cap's 240. That said, if cobalt goes back to where it was for the last decade, you probably don't have a feasible project somewhere in that sort of 15 to 20 dollar mark. So, if you want to pure play cobalt based on ESG or um, electric vehicles or whatever your thesis may be, I think this is a good way to do it. For me, I just don't like taking that bet because mm. you're so leveraged that commodity price. Um, it's, so it's not for me, but for someone who wants cobalt, I actually think this is a pretty decent way to do it. Um, All right. Because most most, co most cobalt is actually just a um, you know byproduct of a, of a copper mine or, yep. or something else. So this gives you pure play cobalt without having to worry about other commodities. All right, Claude, your thoughts then. I'll I'll just add on to what Luke said, which is to say uh, I, I agree with what he said, but I think that the way that it, one should look at the stock price of this company in the short term is it's just a sociological phenomenon right now. We have a super hot um, battery sector. Obviously, already we're in the midst of this massive change to try and reduce fossil fuel and increase use of batteries, which cobalt's used in batteries. On top of that, of course, the Ukraine situation has just made that even more important. So a lot of what happening right now is it's just a way of expressing that excitement. The reality is these guys are saying that they are looking at uh, late 2025 as um, when they're going to be doing produ production, right? Um, now, that's first production. Now, that's if things go to plan. Sometimes they don't. That's late 2025. Right now, this year, they're focusing on doing a demonstration plant that they want to run 24-7 samples, start showing people. Now, I've, I think this is, I hope this mine actually happens. It seems to have support of the local people. It seems to be a great solution to um, cobalt supply, which is going to be important. And they have um, some sort of uh, investor from LG International, which is, I think, the South Korean battery maker kind of thing. So they, they've to got total potential. But right now, until really they're much closer to production, this thing is going to be trading on that sociological wave more than anything else. So. I'd look at it as a bet on that. Right now, obviously, we've had a massive run-up. It could run up further, but for me, it's like a little bit too too late in the sociological mm. hype around batteries. And so I'd be looking to maybe revisit it closer to 2025 if I invested in mining producers, which, which I don't really. Yeah, we've certainly seen the run-up in the share price just over the last month, but the cobalt price pretty much almost doubling in the past mm. six months. All right, let's uh, move on. Eight common kira wanted to know about this uh, it's a platform that supports organizations in the management of their credit cards business expenses and travel and such claude yeah so this one is one i've followed for years and i'm sure luke will have some gems on it because he knows it well but basically they have two main products one is this expensate software which mainly is focused at government it does have some private clients for example woolworth but that is an expense management platform so 
you know, when a, a bureaucrat has to go on a travel trip for whatever reason to go and consult with stakeholders, um, you know, expense aid can be used to manage their expenses. Um, on top of that, they have a new product that they've been um, pushing called Card Hero, which is essentially like a reloadable card and it, of course, feeds into their expense management software, but that's a separate profit uh, product. Now, um, I think that they've been making good progress with both of these products. You know, I remember when they announced Card Hero a few years ago, they actually are slowly um, rolling out, um, you know, new Card Hero products. Uh, functionality they just the other day uh, about a week ago uh, announced another not-for-profit um i think it was west haven which is using card hero expense Eight. meanwhile they've got a good agreement with the with the government for expense eight we should see that grow however my reticence with these guys is every time they seem to get some share price momentum they always use it or they so far always use it to raise capital and so that makes me think oh when are they ever going to get to free cash flow positive um, look, right now, I don't own shares, but of the ones we're talking about on this show, it's probably the one I like the most and closest to buying. I think it's an investable company. We've seen a little bit of director buying lately. The share price is in a little bit of a, in the doldrums, as can happen when you have these non-profitable little micro caps and you have a volatile people period. People are very worried about them. I think mm. this one is a survivor. Therefore, it's investable. Therefore, it's actually one that I'm like actively looking at and I wouldn't even rule out buying some shares myself again. I've been a shareholder in the past. But right. when I see that strong run up, that's been my thinking, oh, is there going to be a capital raising? All right. Well, that's a vote of confidence. Luke, your thoughts? Yeah. Um, for disclosure, I own it with Meriwether Capital, um, one of my higher positions too. Right. Um, so Claude's done a good job outlining the business. One of the things I really like about them is um, they late last year won a, a whole of federal government contract for their expense solution. Um, and I think when that happened, it really de-risked the future of this business. So you run the numbers on, on what that contract meant for them. Um, they're gonna bring in probably about six to eight million annualized recurring revenue as they, as they ramp up all the different government departments. Mm. But uh, Claude's right, they have used spikes in the share price to raise capital in the past. Um, I, I sort of hope that that won't continue because the government contract also comes with some really solid implementation revenue. So, um, you know, because one of the problems that a lot of businesses have, um, even software businesses, is they can consume a lot of capital in that real startup phase until you get that user base on the platform and just, um, you know, transacting every month. But these guys, because of that implementation revenue, that capital sort of sorts itself out as, as the government's essentially paying you to, to roll out your product and onboard all of your, um, all of your users. Um, I view the Card Hero stuff as, as you know, a, a bit of blue sky potential, but admittedly, as Claude pointed out, they're getting some, some, a few runs on the board, mm -hmm. um, particularly that, in that NDIS space, where I think there's a, a genuine use case for that technology where um, you, know, you have disbursements of NDIS funding and using a digital solution just allows that to be maintained, dispersed correctly, make sure there's, you know, unfortunately we've read all sorts of articles about fraud in the NDIS and things like that. So. I really like this business. I think um, the the next couple of quarters, I'm hoping, will really start to show that inflection point where the government contract's ramping up. They are exposed to travel, as Claude alluded to. Like business travel goes through their system. They, they book trips and modules through that. So I think a lot of things are now lining up for this business. Next yep. couple of quarters are important, but I'm, I'm pretty confident they can um, start you know kicking some goals. All right, that is eight common, certainly the favoured stock to date on the show. All right, our fifth one. Uh, is Field Solutions. 
Uh, Sam, wanting to know about this one, um, it's a telco provider, rural, regional, remote Australia, vision of being Australia's largest rural and regional telco provider, in fact. Luke? Um, I had this one on my watch list for, for a long time, like a couple of years, and I could never bring myself to really pull the trigger on it because I found the assets interesting, you know, rural telco coverage, and, mm. and you know, you're not competing with the, the majors and you can carve out a nice little asset there. But I always thought it'd be low growth. You're very reliant on federal government funding um, or state government funding as well. I must admit, I went and had a look yesterday. The share price has done very well on, on, a, on a longer chart. Uh, that's, that's it there. Um, management's done a really good job of executing beyond just becoming a, a you know, tower asset business, launching their own mobile um, service, extending to data centers, cloud products, some IT managed services but all focused around that rural and, and sort of regional areas. And I think that's a, a gen, you can carve out a genuine competitive advantage, you know, marketing yourself as the, as the telco and NIT provider for, for rural Australia. Um, the only negative I see is the valuation. It's, it's, you know, even at the high end of their guidance, they're talking 24 times EBITDA. Now they're building out an infrastructure asset. You know, you only have to look at Unity Group right now to see how much the market's willing to pay for a solid telco infrastructure asset. So, you know, you could possibly argue, look a couple of years in the future, that's a, a pretty reasonable price. Mm -hmm. For me, on a, on a run like that on that chart in 24 times, I would hold it if you're there, but I, I, I would just put it on your watch list otherwise and, and maybe wait for a bit of a pullback. All right, okay, Claude. Yes, so similar conclusion for me. I think that it's not one that I'd buy right now. Um, these things tend to go in fits and starts. They've had like an inflection point where they burst into profitability. I think 1.6 million they made in the last half. Uh, now, if you annualize that, um, then they'd still be on a PE of like 40, something like that, which is fairly high. Um, so let's see how they go. Um, having said that, I do think, yeah, this is a, it's a 130 something million dollar company. It's definitely one for your small cap watch list. My one caveat, my one concern is that they have a, you know, a whole range of different revenue streams. They personally are divided up into government, business, enterprise, residential, and managed services. And you know, I wonder, I guess like the, the thing that it sits under is rural, um, but you know, typically rural telco um, sectors has been difficult to make a profit in, which is why you've needed government subsidy to you know, have services to those areas. So. I guess they're going around and cherry picking where it makes sense, where there's a customer that can pay. That can work for a certain point, but does that go on forever? You know, is this the kind of um, group that can just keep on growing a compound for 10 years? I would say mm. it, will, it will be a tough gig to do that. So um, for me, it'd be like, I guess, a hold at best, um, just because I feel like it's probably got its uplift, its growth period, and then it, and then it's going to plateau as a business. All right, that is Field Solutions. Let's sum up those five stocks plus stock of the day, which was Domain. Um, now, both essentially have a hold on it, uh, but both prefer REA Group. So um, that is the preference there. Our first stock, uh, Genus or Genus Plus. Uh, Luke talking about uh, low margins in a rising cost environment. Does have a clean balance sheet. He's got a hold on it. and. Uh, Claude's saying essentially not now, but he does have a watch on it at this point. Comms Group was our second one. Bit of a messy turnaround. It does involve Peter McGrath, which they both like. He does have a good history of turning these companies around. Uh, in fact, Luke's summing it up by saying um, you're backing the jockey rather than the horse. So both have a hold on that. Uh, Cobalt Blue. Um, 
that is obviously in cobalt mining. Uh, Claude makes the point that they're not likely to come online until late 25. So he's going to revisit it at this point. And eight common. Um, well, this is favoured by, uh, by Claude at the moment. He's got a buy on it. And in fact, Luke owns it in Merriweather Capital there. Uh, he's uh, reassured given that it's got a government contract, so which he says essentially de-risks the business. And finally, there are field solutions, uh, both watching that one. All right, let's move on to our second uh, five as such. In fact, uh, just before we do that, Calls High Conviction Fund is up and running. You can catch up on the first committee meeting online ahead of the next episode, which will be out next Tuesday, in fact. Let's have a look at how the portfolio stands. It's uh, an equal allocation to BHP Macquarie Mineral Resources, Steadfast, Aristocrat, Ordinate, CSL, Next DC, and Universal Store. Then half units to Qantas, Frontier Digital Ventures, and at 20% is currently being held in cash. So keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at at CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, let's take a look at the next five stocks. We're going to take a look at Cryosite, Adore Beauty, Corum, My Foodie Box, and Redflow. Let's get into it. And Cryosite, providing outsourced clinical trials and logistic services, manages the entire clinical trial uh, supply chain, essentially. Luke, thoughts? Yeah, Claude and I got a bit of history with this business. I, I did a lot of work into this stock years ago and, and nearly bought it at 50 cents. And, um, you know, it took a long way down from from that point so luckily i, I held off um, the core business used to be cord blood storage so basically what this was is a, when, when a baby was born you could opt to take uh, blood from the umbilical cord which had mm. stem cells in it and they would put that on ice for you know 25 years and the economics of that business should be brilliant it's people giving you cash up front for you know a 25 year service so you you know the cash flow was was just fantastic coming through the problem they had was they were dragged into a price war with a much, much larger private peer um, and effectively were forced out of that business. They just couldn't, they just couldn't keep up. Now, in doing that, in taking umbilical cord blood and storing it, you have a cold logistics network and the business started to leverage that into clinical trials and drugs and, and you know, things that need to be transported around at, at low temperatures. And I must admit, like it sort of fell off my radar for a few years there. Going and having it, it came up about a year ago, and I thought it looked interesting, but it still had a, a you know a turnaround was still going. Looked at it again yesterday, and I actually think it's it's starting to look interesting again. I give management full credit; it's taken them a few years, but I think they've gotten that logistics cold storage segment you know really up and running to the point now where it's the the, the main part of the business for sure. Um, the the points I had from it um, for for Harry who sent it in. You take one look at this, the, the profit and loss accounting of the business is a complete mess because of the way they have to, um, through the accounting standards, have to account for that cord blood business. Mm -hmm. So they record revenue, but absolutely no cash comes in because they received that cash five years ago. So my advice to Harry is completely ignore the profit and loss. It has almost no value for, for this business in analyzing it. You have to look at the cash flow. 
and you go and have a look and for the half it was pretty impressive like you know 1.9 mil operating cash um, they benefited benefited from some working capital movements but even if I adjust that out it's sort of like 1.2 mil a bit of capex for 700,000 free cash flow that's pretty good for 20 odd mil market cap um, you know I think there was six odd mil cash 26 yep. percent revenue growth for that core business 32 um, percent profit growth so I, you know, I, I put it back on my watch list after this yesterday, and, and a bit like the first stock, Genus Plus. Um, I'm sort of, despite knowing that business quite well, you know, from looking at it years and years ago, um, I needed a bit more work getting my head around it to come and say bye. But mm -hmm. Harry, if you're there, I would hold it. I think management's done the hard yards over the last few years, and I think it actually looks pretty interesting right now. All right, yeah, Claude. In fact, I should know that Harry did send us in. He says it may have some tailwinds behind it. Uh, is it undervalued? Uh, what am I missing? He says. Yeah, well, I think yeah, I think the thing that we're most likely missing is that people like Luke and I have got a um, long memories. So you've got some of those people in the market that just look at it and they're like, brings brings back some sort of, uh, in my case, trauma. Because unlike Luke, uh, I actually uh, thought that it would make a go of this cold blood storage uh, and basically halved my money on the stock. So uh, when it comes down to it, you know, the story has changed now and. Luke is correct that they've moved more into the um, clinical trials and then logistics side of things, which I think was four point something million I've got in front of me versus their whole revenue of 4.6 million of their entire revenue, which is 5.8 in the last half. So that's the story now. That's the business now. And look, I kind of like it because I could imagine that these guys might be involved in, um, you know, transporting and storing vaccines, uh, especially these mRNA vaccines. So like down the path, we may have more and more mRNA vaccines, not just for COVID, but for other things as well. And so far it seems these vaccines need to be stored at very low temperatures. So if they start becoming a more of a feature of our society, then I think mm -hmm. that these guys will do really well and they'll be perfectly positioned. And that's why it's interesting to me. Right. Um, so yeah, th that's the pitch for it. I'm not across the line yet, but uh, yeah, look, I think it's very interesting. Okay, great. That is Cryer's site. All right, we better pick up the pace. We are falling behind. Um, Claude, Adore Beauty. And, uh, of course, it's online beauty cosmetics retailer. It is in the discretionary retail sector, so that's a, perhaps a potential problem uh, given the overall environment at the moment. Yeah, well, let's save a little time on this because we did discuss it uh, a couple of months ago. But since then, we've had the results. Uh, the company showed uh, negative free cash flow uh, of about three and a half million for the half, but then they reported a profit of about two million for the half, which still isn't great. Now, to put that in perspective, they had revenues of 113 million and a two million dollar uh, profit after tax. That's very, very thin margins. And on top of that, you got negative cash flow. So that's a bit of a red flag for me. Uh, adding to it, you have the fact that this was a super hyped float, and I generally don't like to invest in companies that um, do a super hyped up float, and then the share price crashes, which is exactly what happened with Adore Beauty, because it, ultimately it makes me think that you know the investors have been poorly treated, and then why would that encourage me to become an investor? So that's you know strike mm -hmm. two, and then of course strike three is as you alluded to. I just don't think like, well, I'm not going to be buying an online business right now. These guys have just had a massive free kick with COVID, um, closing down physical stores, etc. cetera. Um, of course, that's going to benefit them. We're seeing 
advertising costs across the board we're seeing these companies have to spend more and more on paid acquisition so for me um i would just avoid it okay that is a big avoid luke um i i actually think these guys were the pick of the e-commerce results but that's the best of a bad bunch (laughs) they were all pretty ugly but i must admit these guys were probably the best one um you know they do a really good job of driving customer loyalty, and I think that's really important. Um, Claude's right, e-commerce is going through a really tough time right now. And the main problem with e-commerce, and I think the market has completely rethought the way they price e-commerce businesses, is that you know, even once you bring someone back to your website, I know what I want to buy, yeah. I'm one Google Chrome tab away from typing in that product and doing a quick price check and potentially buying somewhere else. Mm. And it's that that ease of churn just makes these businesses, they talk about returning customers and loyalty and, and you know average spends and all that sort of stuff. But when that ease of churn is just so high, it, it, it's tough for these businesses. And I've said it before, like obviously Amazon dominates e-commerce, but the reason why it's the subscription model. I've already paid my $60 Prime subscription, so I'm gonna use it. Yep. I, I need to get my value back. So look, you know, some of the some of the there were some positives to it. Don't get me wrong, but Claude highlighted the main issues that every e-commerce guy saw, which was profitability suffered because your your marketing and expense costs had to really grow fast and your revenue to, to continue growing. All right, okay. So you're avoiding it at this point. I would definitely avoid yep. it. Yeah. You okay. Get a better well, price for that one. All right. Quorum is our next one. Software company, a hardware reseller. Braden wanting to know about this, saying uh, quarterly results weren't amazing. Uh, but what does that mean? Uh, is there potential uh, for the company still, Luke? Um, yeah, Claude knows this one better than I, so I'll be quick. Yep. Um, like a lot of micro caps, when you go through a restructuring or an investment phase, you generally struggle to find love on the market. Your, your share price sort of bumbles around and you, you have to wait until you see that recovery in the numbers, even if the underlying business is you know, starting to do well and, and the growth starting to come through. Um, they report to be roughly cash flow break even, but there's two million dollars in R and D grants in that. So you know, I think at a organic or, or, or normalised level, they're still a little bit loss making. Management are targeting fifteen percent revenue growth. Fell short of that in that last result. Um, you know, they're investing for that growth, so I think the market is sitting back and saying, uh, you know, let's see it before we, we buy in. The main positive I actually see with it is that I look. I know this business, or I've known it for a few years. I think they've finally cleaned up all these legacy issues that they had. So they had you know, weird segments, like an e-commerce segment, a real estate segment. There were legal disputes, a software dispute. There's a lot of moving parts that were taking management's focus off mm. trying to be just a um, pharmacy software company. That's all gone. So I think the, the, the positive you really got is, is you now have a fully focused management. They have to execute. To be honest, I probably have the same view as the market, which you see with the share price is yep. you can sit on the sidelines and wait for the execution to come through. So All right. I would, I would, I'll just hold off on that one. Okay, Claude. Yeah, so I own shares in this one, but I, it's not been a success for me. You know, I, I, I bought them before they ran up and then held them believing that they can um, deliver on those goals, but they haven't delivered. And I think the key thing that the key development we've seen is basically the company has spent in hiring more people and in order to get growth. Now they have had a little bit of sales increase from that sort of core healthcare software. So the pharmacy software businesses is Pharmex and Corum Clear. Um, they're the, the packages there. Now Pharmex is the one that they bought not so long ago and that's still growing. However, that was partly hampered by something that wasn't their fault, which was that um, Pfizer moved, changed distributors from DHL healthcare to somebody else. 
DHL Healthcare had been on the PharmEx platform. The new one wasn't, so they lost some volume because of that. And some of that will actually impact the next half as well. Mm -hmm. um, on the plus side, you know, we really saw an instantly fast response from the executive chairman who's basically uh, gone in and, and come in and taken over as CEO because of this. Um, we've had a year now. We haven't seen the, like, the growth that we wanted to see. And I guess there's a number of reasons for that, and they didn't get massively into it, but the CEO is gone, and now the executive chairman, who's a major holder and has put his own hold hard cash in this, he is taking over, and he's just going to focus on growing the Farmex business, which is probably the right strategy, because that's the business that was kind of growing anyway. That's already growing. He just wants to accelerate that. The second step of the turnaround will be to try and reinvigorate growth into this Corum Clear and this Corum Enterprise stuff. They've got a bit of a cybersecurity offering. Mm -hmm. That side of the thing where you're, um, rather than just connecting pharmacies with the distributors, which is what the Pharmex thing does, the other side of their software is more like, you know, the, the, the pharmacy having their dispensing software that they're actually using in the pharmacy. So that's still been on ice. That's been a disappointment. We need that to grow for it to really be a success. For yeah. now, I'm still holding, but, you know, I, as Luke says, the wiser path now would probably be to wait to see if they can start delivering. All right, Coram, a hold there from Claude. All right, uh, just got, uh, don't have a lot of time, but we'll, we'll rip through the last two. Claude, my foodie box, uh, this is the Perth-based uh, company uh, providing meal kits, uh, essentially, that are preservative, hormone-free and sustainable. Yeah, I think that I wanted to take a, like, a little bit of a zoomed out approach to this and just get people to think about um, how many of these like my food box companies do you think can sustainably be in a market and then how many could profitably be in a market like is this a situation where we're going to have as many different food box companies as we have um you know corner stores or is it more likely going to be like okay supermarkets where in australia we essentially have iga which is like you know all of those independent ones plus Woolworths and Coles. I think it's going to be, if they ever get to profitability, it's going to be a fewer number of bigger ones because it's obviously a scale game, right? You've got this distribution network, you've got to buy in bulk, you're sending out the meals. Um, so my foodie box is a WA-based one. Um, and I just thought I'd do a little bit of a market comparison. Look, here are the other companies. They're, going to, they're in WA, they're going to go to Sydney, Melbourne. So that's going to put them up against Dinner Twist, Dinner Lee, Every Plate, HelloFresh, Marley Spoon, Pepper Leaf, Thomas Farms Kitchen, and You Plate It. <laughs> among others there's also you foods as well which is a bit different but yeah. um same idea and then if you go and look at the price my food box for i looked at um three meals per week for two people they're 13 dollars 30 um dinner lead is the cheapest at seven dollars 25 per portion um marley food spoon which i love and, and we use comes in at 11 point 11 dollars 50 per per portion and then um hello fresh uh was a little bit more expensive than that Oh, no, sorry, a little bit cheaper than that, about 11.30. So the HelloFresh and uh, Marley Spoon are very similar there, um, yeah. as you'd expect, because they're the big players. So, look, I just right. avoid it. I hope that I've just shown, yep. made a point with that competitive analysis. You have, indeed. Yep. All right, Luke. Yeah, look, even if we weren't short on time, I'd be quick with this one. Right. Um, like, to, to sum it up, I actually tried to look up for my foodie box and found my food bag. So, like, you know, there's another yeah, okay. one listed on the ASX. Yeah. Um, maybe the competitive advantage is it comes in a bag well, like, instead of a box. Well, recently listed, but yes. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is so early stage. It actually shocked me that it, it managed to get a listing away. Right. Um, it, like, 
2,000 subscribers is, is nothing. Mm. Um, two and a half mil revenue, but of course, you know, that's because you're, you're charging, you know, 10 odd bucks a week across that. Yep. Um, the, the proceeds from the IPO hadn't hit the bank when they reported their half year results. So to the end of 31 December, there was $45,000 cash in the bank. You know, your average corners, like Corbin's talking about your corner stores, yep. they have more cash in the bank on that. It's, I don't like to say something's uninvestable, but this is pretty much uninvestable. All right, um, I think that tells the story there, right there. <laughs> okay, finally, Red Flow, Sam wanted to know about this. Uh, it is a renewable transition by uh, what's saying it's delivering one of the world's safest and cleanest energy storage solutions, saying its battery is the world's smallest and most scalable commercially available zinc bromine flow battery. What do you know about that, Luke? Yeah, look, I, I feel a bit sorry for these guys. They've been around for a long, long time, like 10, 15 years. And because of that history on the ASX, we've seen them try to get this new battery solution up and running and just haven't been successful. And many cap raises, the share, there's the share price over a longer term. It's just gone nowhere. If this had floated last year in the in the midst of a battery metals theme and mm. the world going ESG, it's probably a you know billion dollar business like Navonics or something like that. Um, look, they're trying to do something interesting, which is a zinc bromide battery, um, getting away from lithium. With lithium prices soaring, it it may makes a solution like this more attractive. Um, now, technically, look, I can't talk to whether it's a better solution or not. That's just you know I, I don't know. Yeah. But for me, again, we talk about my foodie box. It, it's so early stage. Redflow's been around for a long time, but they're still a long, long way away to the point where it's still negative gross margins. I mean, you know, for a business to be negative gross margins, even after all this time, it probably suggests the technology, while being interesting, yep. probably just isn't commercial. So, all right. look, it's one where... Too early. If you're, it's too early for a, for a genuine investor, but if you're a believer in the tech and something like that, maybe you have a, a punt. But yeah. Claude? Well, Luke's nailed it. So I'll just add, look, for this kind of company, if you're buying shares now, you're just speculating. And that's fine. Like, it's a story. You're hoping there's some good news to sell it as a profit. If you look at the long-term history, you see what's hap- what this what this stock has done to, to shareholders' money. And if you want to come at it as an investor who's trying to really value the company and buy something undervalued, then this is just way too early stage, way years away. Like, you need to see some serious revenue. So far, the only real application that's gone anywhere with this is like using it for um, telco like towers to power or backup power telco towers that are sort of out of the way. So very, very niche, but that's not what you need. It's not like niche software can make money, but niche new battery types, it just never works because you're competing against other kinds of batteries that have scale. So it's going to be cheaper and manufactured for less. So Mm. uh, yeah, just got to wait if you want to be an investor in this one. All right, be patient, perhaps. All right, let's summarise where the second half of the show we've been. Cryosites uh, there, Luke's saying, well, he, he did like it, um, but yeah, the share price has come off significantly. He's watching, uh, Claude saying he was traumatised by it, essentially. He's halved <laughs> his money, but he's still looking at it. Uh, Adore, Adore Beauty, both avoiding it at this point. Um, talking about uh, you know, margins, negative cash flow. Um, all right, Coram. That um, Luke's saying cash flow positive. Uh, well, even in fact, he's, he's waiting. Uh, Claude owns it, but has been disappointed, saying it's just not uh, delivering, although that is a management change. He's got to hold on it, waiting to see what uh, eventuates in terms of that. And uh, let's, uh, my foodie box was the next one there. Claude saying, uh, look, he's likely consolidation. He listed a whole lot of competitors in that sector. He's got an avoid. Luke's saying it is too early at this stage. 
And finally, we had Redflow there um, in battery, alternative battery. Bro, it's a zinc bromine flow. Uh, Luke's saying it may become attractive, but still a long way from uh, becoming uh, well, getting positive gross margins there. And Claude essentially saying pure speculation at this point. All right, that's the show for today. Claude, thanks so much for joining us from A Rich Life. Thank you for having me. It's been very enjoyable. And Luke, thank you. Thanks, Mark, for joining us from Maryborough, the capital. All right. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email at the call at ausbiz.com.au. Again, tweet us at ausbiztv. And a reminder to where to find those stocks we have in the calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. <laughs>